0: Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzle Loading Rifle Association. This week, we're talking with Luke Horak of Arrowhead Rifles. Luke has spent much of his life hunting and got into muzzleloaders around the early 2000s and has since grown his interest in them into his own company, Arrowhead Rifles, where he's building custom built long range precision muzzleloaders. It's really neat talking to Luke and getting kind of a, a modern perspective on how he came into muzzleloading and and why. He currently lives in Arizona, but grew up hunting in Iowa. And so we talk a little bit about the changes for him between hunting in the Midwest and then hunting out West. Luke also shares some details and some of the stories behind how Arrowhead got started, as well as some really neat kind of technical information, I'd say, about what he's doing now in the precision muzzleloading space in general
1: name is Luke Horak it like ack or Ick, but it's oh, pronounce it ock so Horak i'm not never offended if people get it wrong hardly anyone ever gets it right the, <laughs> the first time just trying to read it but uh originally from Iowa I uh, grew up chasing rabbits and sparrows and starlings around with a with a bb gun uh I think earliest recollection of of hunting stuff was trying to have to sneak around and avoid my my mom and my grandma catching me shooting sparrows and stuff in the backyard. They were, we kind of grew up in town, moved to the country later. Uh, well, when I was like 11 or 12 and I think eventually my, my brother and I broke in my mom and my grandma, but they were, they were definitely borderline anti hunters, uh, early on, but that couldn't really hold my brother and I back. We were, we were so, into it had such a passion but so you know eventually transitioned to uh you know, 22s and shotguns uh, my brother and i both uh, participated in the youth hunter education challenge junior high and high school had a lot of fun with that went to a couple of nationals and oh great i you know, just had a fun fun time competing i did one in at the uh, nra whittington center there in uh new mexico and then two of them uh, in pennsylvania i can't can't recall the name of the place in Pennsylvania, but yeah, it was, it was a it was a great time. Just yeah. uh, really enjoyed competing in the the hunting and shooting uh, sports. I think I bought my first muzzleloader to kind of get into the because of the the muzzleloader competition uh, portion of uh, the the Youth Hunter Education Challenge is something to to practice with. And my dad had a 54 cal sidelock percussion mm-hmm. thing he bought from Cabela's and. You know, my brother and I played around with that some, but the, the first muzzleloader I bought, I was probably 14, 15 at the time, was a, a, I think, a TC Firehawk. Okay. And had had, had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it you know, shot pretty well. It shot quite a few deer with it and stuff. And uh, you know, as I transitioned through high school into college, I, I kind of got tired of cleaning and stuff. It, you know, it's probably probably kind of a, a mortal sin to admit that to, to some of your uh more traditional listeners but i just got frustrated we, we was busy and didn't really enjoy cleaning and stuff so i actually put the put the muzzler down for a while and it was mainly you know an it's shotgun muzzle only okay for deer hunting or at least at the time it was uh, now i think they allow the the straight wall cartridges for some of the seasons but so i spent a lot of time late. High school, college, trying to get to 200 yards with a slug gun, and I mean, I guess it's kind of doable in theory, but it was really just kind of a waste of time. And then uh, 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 got got through college, graduated with my mechanical engineering degree from from, uh, iowa state university and went to work for a a defense contractor working in microelectronics packaging so i did a lot of uh, the 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 internal components of military gps and stuff like that so not not really firearms related yeah uh, at all but the the mechanical engineering really gave me a good you know background to when i transitioned into building guns later on to actually design stuff and uh, it's been been very useful but about that time, well, I think it was. And I I get the date wrong. Every podcast I've done this year, I've I've had the wrong origin date for the Savage Ten ML two. For some reason, I would say two thousand four, but I think it was really two thousand one, uh, when the Savage came out with their Ten ML, yeah, and you know, kind of introduced smokeless muzzle loading. And I graduated uh, college in two thousand six and bought a uh, Savage Ten ML two that summer, and it was just nothing but headaches for me. So I, I got it in August, went out, you know, down the pasture and was just loading and shooting. And it was probably 80 degrees and could not hit the broad side of the barn with, it It was just super frustrated. And then I, you know, I finally got it shooting. Okay. But had some misfires and, uh, eventually found my way to, to Doug's message board online. And there, you know, there were some guys there that were uh, well, for, for one, they kind of figured out how to get the 50 cals to shoot. I, you know, at that time, I found out that Sabo's don't handle heat very well, especially when you're running higher pressure loads like high performance smokeless or blackhorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to shoot Sabo's in 80 degree weather is just going to you know, you're know, you going to knock your head against the wall trying to to get those to work. And when you know, found out I needed to. I had the bore on my muzzle loader was, was loose. So I needed to, you know, up the bullet diameter, get a tighter fit with the Sabo and eventually got, got that 50 Cal Savage shooting, shooting pretty darn well. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, the, I always like to upgrade. I, I hardly, there's, there's about two guns in my three guns in my safe that I'll never sell. And then everything else is, you know, if I grow tired of it or whatever, I yeah. move it on I'm always loved to upgrade and, you know, just tinker with stuff. So a lot of the guys on Doug's were, were rebarreling to, to 45 Cal with, with pack barrels. And so that's, you know, was the next step. So I bought a 45 Cal pack barrel and I, you know, I thought I had arrived at that point. I mean, that thing <laughs> was an, an absolute hammer <laughs> Uh, you know, I killed a lot of deer two hundred and fifty yards, you know, over, over in that two thirty to two fifty range. I mean, it can couldn't hardly miss with the thing, was running a hundred and ninety-five grain Barnes expander wow. and uh you know, it was just just hammering deer with it. And that was still shooting sabos. Uh the, the ballistic coefficient on that bullet was, you know, I think it's probably around 0.2, 0.22 G one B C. So it. You know, around 300 yards, 250, 300 yards, it, it really starts to to fall off the table. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so but about that time, Pacnor was was running about 14 to 16 weeks on on replacement encore, or sorry, not encore, replacement Savage barrels, and no one really wants to wait, you know, 16 weeks to get a replacement barrel. And this this was uh, around 2011. At this point so it was from 2006 to 2011 was kind of my journey from factory savage 50 cal to you know rebarrel in the to the to the Packnor, nor right. and that you know so i saw an opportunity to start or you know ordering barrels in bulk from savage and just re reselling them uh so i i put in that order you know my first order with with pack i think it was like 20 barrels to to get the the dealer pricing. And it was, it was a pretty big investment for me at the time. And yeah. it was, you know, I was like, boy, am I, am I is this really going to work? And, <laughs> know, but it, it's, uh, you know, actually it was, it was pretty crazy. I had, I think I had every single barrel pre-sold uh, before, before the first batch showed up. And then it's, I started selling bullets and breech plugs and other accessories. And, you know, i start, a lot of guys don't, want to or know how to swap a barrel out so I started doing that and then I just started getting into things more and more there was a lot of innovation happening on Doug's and then you know at some point I just kind of transitioned into you know doing full-on builds and I mean I'll admit early on it was this is like what nine years ago almost now Mm -hmm. that I started you know some of the stuff was I kind of cringe looking back at my my early work yeah Uh, you know but it you know I've just uh you know steadily improved and i mean that's really one of the things i I enjoy about this job is you know finding uh you know areas to improve and then becoming the best at them so you know i I always enjoy getting in the, the work you know another gunsmith's work and uh pulling the gun apart actually just this morning i had a customer stop by with a gun that he had someone else bed and uh you know, it's easy to be critical of yeah. everyone's work. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that going on and, and rightly so there's, I mean, there are some little hacks out there, but, but I actually enjoy pulling stuff apart to try and figure out how guys are doing stuff. Cause there are tricks of the trade. And I've, you know, even I like to, you know, pay, pay real close attention to Instagram pictures and stuff when people are showing stuff, I'm like, Oh, that looks really nice. You know, start thinking how they're, you know, how they're getting that look and stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's been, a way to up my game because I, I want to be the best at, at what I do. So it it's uh, it's fun seeing what's out there and uh, learning from that. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, a, a long version of, of where we are today. So I guess today it's, um, you know, I still sell a lot of the, the upgrade kits uh, for, for the Savage uh, Remington Ultimate Muzzle Loader, uh, Encore bar- Replacement Encore Barrels, at this point i I, I probably missed one one big jump and that was boy i can't remember exactly how far that's been but when when we made the transition from sabos to to full bore 45 cal uh projectiles and that that was really a a big leap forward in technology and i I think you see it the the muzzler shoots that friendship the in the you know, the inline stuff where everyone's doing full bore 45, The the consistency is just so much better. You take, take out that Sabo and remove, remove the weak link. Uh, But yeah, so like I was saying, we do still sell a lot of the, the accessories, the, the upgrades. Um, I've got my own patented breech plug system. That's real popular. I sell, you know, barrel blanks, basically any, you know, if a gunsmith, doesn't want to wait for Brooks or, uh, Bartland or whoever to, to turn a turn a blank for him. I yeah. keep all those on hand. Uh, so so that, that's a big part of my business. And then I've, you know, I'm doing full on custom builds, uh, as well. And I also started to do a few center fire rifles now just to kind of branch out. And I moved from missed another step. I moved from uh, about two and a half years ago, I moved from Iowa to, to Arizona. My wife, uh, isn't, an Iowa native and just couldn't (laughs) handle those Midwest winters. So we, we moved out to Arizona. And uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I kind of missed the miss the Midwest. It's, you know, where I learned to hunt and stuff. So it's been a little harder transition for me here to, to get into hunting. It's, you really gotta drive more and plan things out more where Iowa is, you know, growing up on the farm and stuff, just head out the back door and start hunting. So it can be a little more, more spontaneous, but as far as the, the firearms industry out here i mean that has been really good for the business uh you know mcmillan's like 15 minutes from me tim nee. okay uh, uh h&m the the black nitride their 30 minute drive away pretty much anything you need for firearms related is is here in phoenix so that that part is is awesome but um yeah so that's that's kind of catching you up to to where i I got to where I am today
0: that's awesome I I really appreciate I mean that was a lot of detail but I think that was really neat kind of hearing about each of your steps as you got to where you're at now I can't imagine, I think the, the largest jump, I think for me being a Midwestern kid, the jump from hunting here, like you say, going out to the backyard, going back into the woods to going out West. I mean, I don't know anything about Western hunting. I'll be the first to admit it, but I just know that it's radically different
1: <laughs> than hunting here. It's it's pretty awesome when you have a tag, but yeah. you know, getting a tag out here, that's, that's where you kind of, if you, if you want to get out and hunt every year i mean you got to put in for a lot of different states and then and they're really the only way to be guaranteed to go every year is have you know if a buddy draws a good tag or tag whatever just tag along okay uh, with that with them to help out it's definitely i mean that is not always the case there's definitely guys that that do it individually but from what i've seen it's it's a little bit more of a group activity out here well iowa you know iowa used to be shotguns a lot of deer drives and stuff so there's a lot of you know, deer camp camaraderie with that, which I which I really enjoyed. I mean the maybe the wild slug playing and slugs around yeah. deer drive thing. Not not so much, but the you know the the deer camp camaraderie, camaraderie. But that you know most of that's transitioned to, you know, a lot of bow hunting. Yeah. You know, people big tracks of land where they just have box blind. So a lot I think a lot of that's traditions gone away. But here you you do still have the hunting camp and you know, you might only have one or two guys in the camp that have a tag, but everyone's out there helping the glass and, and stuff like that. So that, that's that's cool.
0: And I think importantly, helping pack out, depending on what yeah, you're going to
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, for sure.
0: So what's a, a day in your life look like? Are, are you are you handling Arrowhead all on your own or do you have some employees that work with you?
1: So, yeah, currently I'm I'm on my own. Uh, I'm I'm looking to to hire someone here in in the fairly near future. Uh, it's it's uh, keeps me very busy uh, as is, but I, I usually get up about about five, and uh, the the shop is here on on site. Uh, actually, I'm I'm working working out of my three stall garage currently, no. uh, but we're the plans are drawn. I'm just waiting on the permit to clear. We're putting up a real nice shop. Nice. uh, in the, in the backyard, uh, here. So yeah, that'll, that'll be really nice to get a little more leg room. My wife uh, is excited to be able to park her Jeep in the garage. Again. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I get up about five, uh, try and catch up on a little email. I'll go out in the uh, shop and, you know, or in the garage and maybe, maybe tinker a little bit. I try not to get into stuff too much I, I try not to touch lays and mills and stuff that can have battery percussions if you make a wrong turn mm-hmm. uh, until a- after eight in the morning yeah. just so that I'm I'm fully fully alert and uh, focused but you know I'll, I guess I'll catch up on the email do some odds and ends and then around 7 30 or 8 I'll come in for breakfast with with my wife and daughter and then you know then it's back out in in the shop and and at it and, you know, I I usually try to cut out about 4.30 or 5 uh, during the day. But, you know, we've got a lot of website orders coming in. So shipping, shipping out packages, answering phone calls, running the equipment. Uh, de- it definitely gets challenging sometimes answering, you know, answering the phone calls and, and still getting work done. That's that's one of the reasons I don't accept any phone orders. <laughs> uh, just because if I if I stopped to take phone orders, I wouldn't wouldn't get everything done. I know it makes it makes it a little challenging for some customers but yeah. it's just the way it's got to be currently but I'm trying not to there's I mean there's definitely the justification to to hire a full-time person but I'm just not really in a hurry to to overgrow and have someone here you know increase my overhead uh, yeah but at, at some point that that's going to happen so
0: and that's a lot of work too, bringing someone in and training them and getting them around and you know, when you're working for yourself or with yourself, it's nice because, you know, you're the only person you have to have meetings with, (laughs) but then you have everything else that comes on when you hire somebody else.
1: Well, there's, you know, part of the challenges too. It's like, if I'm, if I'm, I can't just train someone to, you know, answer technical questions about an arrowhead muzzleload or it's, you know, a CVA muzzle or a Remington. Mu- I mean, you know, it's there's all this knowledge base yeah. that we get. I get calls about, so it, to to train someone how to to answer all those questions is it's gonna gonna be time consuming. Uh, but that's that's one of the things that I'll probably mention it again at the end. But as far as uh, you know, if anybody listening to this decides to to contact me with questions about stuff, it you can try on the phone. Sometimes you'll get me, sometimes you won't. I, I do try to, uh, answer, you know, return phone calls, but email is email is definitely more consistent, but, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be honest. If you, you know, if you write me eight paragraphs, <laughs> you know, asking obscure questions and stuff, you're probably not going to get a real detailed response. I just, I don't have the, the bandwidth. So, uh, you know, read, recommend reading the the website and, you know, watching some of the videos I have and, yeah. and trying to to get the information off there. And if you don't, if you don't see a muzzleloader, you know, anything about a particular model of loader on my website, then don't, don't bother calling me and asking me about that. Cause if, if it's, if it's something I deal with have, you know, product for then then it's on the website.
0: So are you kind of the go-to loading shop in your area? then if you're getting a lot of these calls and questions or are people just finding you online and then wanting to just one to chat about them?
1: Yeah, it's, it's online. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, there's maybe it, it's primarily online, very, very little local traffic. I mean, high performance stuff. I, you know, I definitely get a lot of people contacting me locally, but I think I did a, a podcast with Vortex earlier than the year and had, had one gentleman call me asking about, I don't even remember the model of muzzleloader. It's something that I'd never even heard of. And I'm like, yeah, I've, you know, I've got no idea what you're, what you're even talking <laughs> talking about. So I send him over to, you know, I think, uh, modern yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys on there that know every obscure model of muzzleloader. And I, I send them over there. I'm like, if there's somebody that knows the answer to the question, it'll be over there. So that, that's a you know, for the more primitive oddball stuff that that's a great place to go find out information and and get help.
0: Hmm. So uh, you're handling everything then what's your, what's your favorite thing to focus on or work on? I mean, it's, it's definitely not phone calls.
1: (laughs) No, no. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, I mean, honestly, I I don't know if it's, it's one thing in particular. I, I really, I, I do really enjoy the machining part early on, uh, I was, I subbed out all the machining. I was you know, a full-time engineer. I didn't, I didn't have the, the bandwidth, uh, to, to do the machining operation. So I, I subbed out most of that. Now I, now that's all, uh, in house and I've just really enjoyed, you know, perfecting that. So I do, I do enjoy that. And then honestly, it's not necessarily a, a task or, you know, a, a, a portion of it that I enjoy, but it's really just like finding a problem and solving it mm-hmm. like last week i i was installing ramrods and just didn't have a good way to make sure you know when i set the the retention you know the retention part of the ramrod system in the stock to make sure everything was aligned so I, I end up making up this fixture that threads on the end of the barrel and help, it helps me align okay. everything perfectly and i don't have to eyeball it anymore and it yeah. just because you know when you're trying to see if something's straight you're you know holding it up yeah. you know are are those sling studs straight where there's you know because a lot of the stock makers just you know kind of eyeball those sling studs when you put it in so yeah. it's like you know is my reference point true and so you know it's just uh you know finding a finding a problem and solving it the uh you know the another cool thing we we came up with this year my bullet maker and i was the, the you know the no sizing required bullets. So, you know, to this point, everyone was was running bullets through a sizing die Mm -hmm. or a swager to to fit the bullet to the barrel. And, uh, you know, with the help of my bullet maker, we came up with a way of uh, doing a pre-size that allows a little bit of buffer with the barrel, but it's allowed us to to eliminate the the sizing die. So now you just, you know, pull the bullets out of the pack and and stuff them down the barrel and get that no SABO performance without without having to, to mess around with with setting a sizing guy. So yeah, <laughs> so find you know finding finding problems like that or areas to improve and and fixing them. That, that as an engineer, that's that's like I mean, it's kind of like crack to find a problem and, you know, engineer a solution and, you know, find that, you know, have it actually work. So it's, it's, yeah, that's definitely what I enjoy most about the job.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the, the high you're always, always chasing there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a, a year ago, I, I, you know, if you'd asked me, you know, what, what needs improvement, I'd been like, wow, I, you know, I think I've really got a pretty solid system, but You know, it's, it's crazy that, you know, the, the things, you know, with these bullets we came out with, I've got a couple other things in the works that are, are really big improvements, but it, it wasn't, you know, it, it, you would, the, the, the thing I find fascinating is, I mean, how long have muzzleloaders been around Yeah, and, you know, you can still come up with, with ways to, to make them better. Yeah. So that's uh.
0: That's a, you know, that's kind of a, it's a hot topic in muzzleloading because you have, you have everybody who likes the side locks and likes the real traditional stuff. And I I love that stuff, but I also grew up shooting competitive, you know, as fast as you can make the gun, you know, and still be a muzzleloader. And I think that that, I equate a lot to racing um, and, you know, and talking to guys from... Like C D A and things, it's not about getting rid of the old side locks or diminishing that at all. It's just about making a faster muzzle loader. You know, just like making making a faster car. <laughs> and it's they're all connected because it's all muzzle loading and you're you're loading it the same way. And a lot of the ignition technology is very similar to the way it was hundreds of years ago. But you're all you're always trying to push that envelope a little bit
1: right exactly i mean a lot of what what drives my business is is hunting right Mm -hmm. being able to you know push the limits for for ethically harvesting uh game where i mean that's how i originally got my start and it was trying to to get best past 200 yards with a slug gun and you know giving up on that moving moving into muzzleloaders but i mean there's definitely some some nostalgia with with muzzleloaders i mean it's I, you know, you, you definitely see, you know, some people not being so crazy about the, the more modern stuff. And I, I, you know, I, I get that too, but you know, there's, it's like anything guys like to, to experiment and make, like you said, I think that's, that's really a great analogy with, with the, the race cars, you know, there's a race car is still a car, just the same as the model T is, but as you are some, some classic, but, you know, there's, there's room for every, everything. That-
0: when it comes to like your customs and the, and the parts that you're making for other people's guns that they're upgrading, you know, what are you, what do you, what ranges and what distances are, sh- are you shooting for? Like you said there, you're, you're always hunting that ethical shot. And I think a lot of people have a different idea of what that is. And so wh- what are you shooting for when it comes to that?
1: So, yeah, that's, that's a great, great question. And, I mean, that's that's where there's even within the, you know, the modern inline crowd or this high performance uh, sector. There's there's a little debate as far as what what's ethical. I, I you know, if you if, if you run the numbers and look at you know, plug in the your muzzle velocity and the BC of the bullet and stuff and, and look at wind drift and stuff like that, I, I personally feel like in. In fairly reasonable wind conditions and stuff around 500 yards is, is a good max. Some people that don't practice as much, don't shoot as much, you know, their, their number going to be less. Some guys that maybe practice more, uh, you know, they might be able to, to push that, that further. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, so I tell my customers around 500 yards is, 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 you know, is like if they're shooting at an elk, uh, is, is a decent max past 500 the you know the energy is still there the accuracy is there i mean i've shot ridiculously small groups at 900 yards but it took me three shots three shots to to figure out the wind and and get you know and get on a three by three foot piece of steel you don't have that luxury obviously if you're shooting at an at an animal uh there's definitely i I think uh, a lot of people rightfully so look down on, you know, bird gun, slug guns, you know, guys flinging slugs with their bird guns. And, uh, but you definitely have some of that here out West where, you know, they're just like send it and it doesn't, doesn't really matter how far it is if they can see it. And, uh, you know, everyone, I mean, there's no substitute for practice and stuff. So I know 500 yards seems, seems like a long ways and, uh, it, it, it is, there's a lot that, that can go wrong. People, like I said, need to do their practicing and, and uh, you know, understand what, what wind does and different shooting positions. I, that's one of the biggest uh, issues I see is, is guys that never practice anywhere, but on the bench or the lead sled mm-hmm. and then get into the field and their, their point of impact is totally different. That, that was something I, I learned, you know, a long time ago with the slug guns, is just how different holds, uh, really impact where you're, where you're going to hit. I was always shooting deer a little bit high with the slug gun. And it was because when I sighted in, I was doing a hard hold on the bench. And if you're shooting freehand or just leaning across the branch, you get a lot more muzzle rise and, you know, that was, that was raising stuff up. So, yeah, people really need to, you know, get, get your gun zeroed on the bench and then get off that bench. Don't ever get on it again, unless you're checking your zero or something and start, you know, start shooting how you're going to hunt. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do see, you know, a lot of places, average, you know, calling their muzzle muzzleloaders, thousand yard muzzle muzzleloaders or, you know, however far, but you know, I've shot at a thousand, even with my, my, you know, my guns are, are smokeless powder capable, obviously never use smokeless powder in a gun. That's not designed for it but yeah. we're talking substantially more velocity than what you get out of a blackhorn 209 gun and, mm-hmm. i mean at, at a thousand yards shooting at a three you know a three by three plate you'll hit you know you'll hit it if the wind's steady you'll you know you'll hit it every time if if the winds uh changing off and on i mean you just dance back and forth uh, around it just because the you know the bc of the bullets is is relatively low and uh it's, so it's, you know, it, past five, I'm kind of rambling now, but past oh, yeah. 500, past 500, I mean, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. I, not to pick on any customer, but I had, I mean, I had a guy shoot an elk at, well, I had one, one guy shoot an elk at 630. He, he bought his gun, like, or his, he bought a replacement barrel uh, uh, from me about three weeks before season, shot at a bunch you know he he smoked an elk at 6 at 630 wow i uh, had had another another customer you know i full on custom i built him he shot it to 500 a lot before season and you know was just hammering with it and shot at an elk at, at 660 and uh hit it in the butt hmm. and uh you know he ended up you know, there's, I mean, that is, I guess, a good part is these guns still carry a ton of energy. Yeah. I mean, he, he was able to get up on the elk again and get it, get it killed. Uh, so it worked out in the end. But he's, you know, he's asking me, you know, why did I miss so bad? <sighs> and I'm like, well... <laughs> you never shot past 500. Yeah. Did you hold for any, any wind? And he's like, no, it was foggy, real calm in the morning. There wasn't any wind. And I'm like, well, no. there, there was a little wind. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's always some, you know, if it's 600 some yards across the Canyon somewhere, somewhere in there, there there's some wind probably. Yeah. And it doesn't at that distance, you, you plug in one mile an hour crosswind and you're, you know, you're talking like 10 inches of drift or something like that so uh, and you know so so you know there's like i guess long answer to say there's really no cut and dry number yeah of, you know people people need to get out and practice and find out you know how what distance they can consistently uh put a hit on an animal and i you think- know the, the Sorry, go
0: ahead. I was gonna say there. I think that's that's the answer that we hear most commonly. You know, when when we ask guys or, who are who are building or, or guys who are hard shooters, you know, they're not builders, but they're really focusing on loads. It really comes down to what you're comfortable with and what you've practiced with. You know, I mean, a lot of our match our matches at at friendship are you know go out to 500, but then we also have um, our Creedmoor match where we're recreating the Creedmoor, you know, thousand yard match with a muzzleloader. And that's, that's all about that practice and that, you know, yeah. get into that rhythm. So, you know, how to take that animal ethically, you know, and, and try not to make it too, too horrendous for it, you know, t- to go out of the world. Um, I think that, right. I think that was a, that's a great answer.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see like what Jeff Fisk can do at 500 yards yeah. with the reduced power loads and stuff. I mean, you have no problem imagining that he could probably you know put an elk down at six or seven hundred yards but i mean that guy i know how many bullets he shoots a year it's it's a pile so my gosh uh, yeah 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 (laughs) but uh yeah the average guy you know four or five hundred yards is is probably a good number to to shoot for i'm
0: listening to that uh when you The guy asked you how you, how he missed, I was listening to the vortex podcast and they, they were talking about long range shooting in one of the episodes and and they, one of their coaches or somebody had told them that if you, you know, clear the chamber, you know, point the muzzle in a safe direction and shake your gun and nothing's rattling. It's you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, especially at friendship on the competition line, you know, there's a, there's always a million excuses, but if, if the gun's not rattling, you know, it's between your ears.
1: <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I always yeah, like it's, that. It's very true. Uh, it's funny. I might, I might have to use that one this fall. Yeah, you should. But, uh, You're welcome yeah. to. <laughs> the,
0: the last question I've got is, um, you know, where do you see precision muzzle loading going in the next five years? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's accelerated quite a bit in the last few years, you know, just kind of watching from the sidelines, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a competition shooter and I do some living history stuff, but the precision side of things has just kind of really opened up my eyes to what you can do with something that's still a muzzleloader. And I was just curious what you, what you thought would be coming in the next five years.
1: Yeah. I, I, well, that's actually I mean, when I, I did jot down a few notes on, on the, the, you know, the top discussion topsy topics you sent me and I I'm more mainstream is what I, what I wrote down on that one. I think it's just going to uh, keep on getting more mainstream. When I, when I started Arrowhead back in uh, 2011, you know, you could maybe come up with, with 10, 10, guys doing, you know, this high performance stuff. And now, you know, there's, i mean you probably can't even hardly count all the the smiths and different places doing uh you know high performance 45 cal stuff cva just you know with that paramount they came out with i mean that's definitely a step towards towards taking it more more mainstream uh you know as far as the technology you know i I'm not like we were talking earlier it's kind of hard to imagine uh where where it's going to go but as you know as more and more people start messing with stuff the you know more new ideas that come out and stuff so it'll be it'll be really interesting i think uh i, th- I think a, a lot of the technology will just be making it more user friendly mm-hmm. to help it help it go mainstream you know early early on you know with the sizing dies it was well 6 7 years ago probably if you wanted to swage you had to you know buy four or five different sizes of swagers and find out which one sized the bullet right yeah. and uh Tom at Swinglock came up with his adjustable sizing die and that was a a really big step forward where you could dial and, you know, just have one die and adjust it to get the bullet to fit your barrel. But that's, I mean, even, even that was maybe a little more work than, than what a lot of guys wanted, wanted to do. So now, you know, I came out with these, these no size bullets that, you know, load really easy and, and still shoot great, give you all the the benefits of Sabbath list. So I think we're just going to see trends like that, where it becomes, more user friendly, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to make it, make it more stream for the, for the average, you know, the average shooter.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people hear muzzle loading and they think, you know, they've, there's got to be a strict cleaning regimen. There's a lot of work on figuring out your gun, what load it likes, you know, down to, you know, even on the round ball stuff, you know, there's still those different um, molds that you can get set up, you know, and I think that's a, that's a real turnoff for a lot of guys that shoot center fire, or, um, high power stuff. But I think this is definitely creating a bridge where you're going to see a lot more crossover.
1: I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm excited to see you guys, you know, starting to step up at the N- MLRA and, you know, em- embrace it, doing some shoots to, to encourage people. I mean, that's, that's only going to help, help take it more mainstream, but you're, I mean, you're exactly right. As far as, uh, you know, trying to figure out what, load shoots in a gun even with round it's funny funny you say round balls because I, I mean that's with with sabos it's uh it was the same deal where early on with my my savage you know i had tons of trouble and it because my bore was loose and that's mm-hmm. where you know it's i get a lot of guys that are like well you know with these custom 45s you really gotta see what bullet your gun likes and stuff and i i mean i'll be uh, you know not even stretching the truth a little bit i've I don't think I've built a gun that hasn't shot sub MOA with my, my XLD bullets, you know, the, fir- the first load, mm-hmm. I, I don't even play with loads. I just load them and shoot. And right. they, if the, you know, we've, we've Brooks or Bartlett or what, you know, the, those cut rifle barrel companies that I use, they hold their bore tolerances so tight that, you know, you're not, there's no throat like a center fire and there's no bore barrel, barrel di- variation like with some the mass produced stuff yeah. you know whatever whatever you know it, it, it doesn't doesn't matter what gun it's going to shoot that bullet and load combo right i mean i've i've run into you know a barrel here or there that was choked or whatever right? you know i do a pre sort on my barrels to make sure i'm building with you know, a a barrel, I know that that is going to shoot. So I, you know, I weed out some stuff that way Mm -hmm. on my custom builds, but there's, there's just a a lot less experimentation required with these, these high end 45s to get them to shoot compared to mass produced stuff where I think those savages, the the barrel diameter could probably vary by as much as, you know, five or 10,000. They were all over the place. And uh, so so anyway, that's yeah, just a side tangent. But yeah, like we were saying, I think more mainstream, and it's I mean, it's exciting. We've you know, I have a shoot in Iowa uh, in September, and we usually have you know anywhere from you know twenty-five to thirty-five guys shooting in that, and uh, you know, you guys have have your uh, inline shoots, and it's yeah, it's just exciting to. See so, yeah, how there's a community starting to form yeah. around the high performance stuff. And I think that's just going to keep on growing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a really exciting time. We've been doing that match that we, we filmed there. It's been going on, you know, just kind of behind the scenes a little bit. And, um, and they reached out to me and we're talking about it. And I thought, man, that'd be, that'd be awesome. My father and grandfather built a lot of um, match loading pistols. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s. And so I've always been intrigued, intrigued by that, you know, just being able to to take all this and push it to the limits. But then seeing Jeff Fisk come in there and, you know, no offense to any of the other shooters. I mean, a lot of them were shooting his guns. But man, I mean, watching him go and just work on the range was just awesome. I mean, there are people there asking questions. And I mean, he won out the day beating his own guns. But I mean. In between his shots, when he was done, he was out helping people, giving some people advice. And that's what's so uh, energizing about this is, you know, you can you can like high performance muzzleloaders or precision muzzleloaders or not like them. But, you know, there's still that camaraderie there that keeps all of this and keeps shooting sports going, which I think you just you cannot denounce anywhere
1: so i was i was actually talking to jeff about that because i the shoot there that i i host in iowa i i actually the last couple of years i haven't haven't shot in it just because mm-hmm. it's it's too hard for me to focus on running a match and talking to people and then yeah. even you know even think about shooting I as I, jeff was telling me how he's helping a guy with his gun and i'm like holy cow man how do you how do you shoot so good? And then in, in the middle, you know, you're helping people with their stuff and he's like, yeah, it's, it's tough. But I, you know, I guess when you're that good, you can, you can do it. Yeah. But uh, I think that you
0: know. that's all kind of in between the ears, you know, it's going, it's getting into the game and then getting out of the game.
1: Yeah. You yeah. know, and
0: there are people that are really good at that. And then, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be interrupted at all. You know, <laughs> like, right. I need right. some pure focus here, but you know, it's,
1: yeah, yeah, just Jeff's a, just Jeff's a great guy.
0: Uh, before we close, would you like to um, let people know where they can find you online, you know, social media, website, email, phone number, whatever you want to whatever you want to hand out. We'll make sure we get that in there.
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you can find me under Arrowhead Rifles and then the website is www.arrowheadrifles.com. Ah, uh, best way to get a hold of me, like I said earlier, earlier on, is is email. Uh, phone can be hit or miss. I do mm-hmm. try to get back to people eventually, but it can take a few days sometimes, especially now as we move into fall. Uh, things are are really gonna yeah. get, get busy. So so email is is definitely best. Like I said, also try to try to keep the the questions short and uh, to the point. If you've, if you've got a bunch of questions, you know maybe it's best to say you know I'm interested in this. Do you have you know, a resource you can point me to, and I can you know, send you, send you to the, to the video and stuff. I don't want people to, to waste their time writing a, a bunch to just have me uh, say, you know, go here and check this out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's, uh, yeah. The, the, that's where, where people can find me.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Luke. And, and thank you for sponsoring the the match that we've got going on in July. Um, We really appreciate it. We're really excited about the opportunities that we're having with it and trying to get that going more and have some more people having fun with muzzleloaders.
1: Yeah, excellent. Glad to to be able to be a part. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: We'd like to thank Luke and Arrowhead Rifles for sponsoring our long-range muzzleloading hunters match that we're putting on at the end of July. That'll be July 25th and 26th. Um, It's a really exciting match for us. We have over $3,000 in prizes to be handed out. You don't need to be the best shooter to win. Just about all the prizes will be handed out just based on who comes and who registers. So it's going to be a door prize system. It's going to kind of be drawn from hats. So you don't have to bring the best gun or be the best shooter to walk away with some nice prizes. Luke has graciously donated a $100 off gift card for Arrowhead Rifles. And that includes a $100 off anything that he has in his store. I mean, He has a ton of accessories, a ton of parts. If you're looking up building your own custom muzzle loader, it's going to be a great opportunity for you to get into some nice custom parts to really amp up your muzzle loader. You can see a full list of the sponsors and the prizes that we have for the match at NMLRA.org. We'll have a link down in the show notes too to give you a direct link to that list. Things are getting a little crazy again with COVID-19. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that um, the spring nationals at the NMLRA, as well as several of our smaller weekend shoots and events across the country have been canceled. Um, it looks like we're kind of going into another wave of that right now with Fort Bridger being canceled here recently. Fort Loudon was also canceled. Just want to let you know with all the rumors and things going on, you can always get up-to-date information about NMLR events at NMLRA.org. We also have NMLRA.org slash COVID-19 set up. It's a webpage that just has how COVID-19 is affecting the NMLRA. As of recording, everything is still a go for the September national championships. We're getting things around and reaching out to vendors who have had their entire businesses really affected by all the cancellations through the year right now, reaching out to them and trying to give them a place where they can come and, and make up for a little bit of the losses this year. But um, be sure to follow us on social media. On Facebook, we're the NMLRA. On Instagram, we're Muzzle Blasts. You can always see up to date and official information at nmlra.org on a similar note here, if you're looking to pick up some supplies or some kits or whatever you need for when we can get out and have events again, be sure to check out nmlra.org slash shop small and nmlra.org slash advertisers. Both of those links are set up with... <clears throat> Both of those links are set up with an entire list of our NMLRA advertisers and our mom and pop shops that come and set up our our events year round. Um, So please, if you're looking for muzzleloading supplies, living history of supplies and accoutrements right now, please check out NMLRA.org and support our supporters. If you can, in any capacity, let them know that you came from us. It just helps them know that we're getting the word out and trying to help them during these difficult times. Here at Muzzle Blast, we really appreciate all the support that we've received, especially this year, um, just during all the hectic times here. Um, If you'd like to help out the show a little bit, be sure to tell a friend, um, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, nmlra.org slash podcast is set up with a full stream of all of the podcast that we've recorded here. You can also use the discount code podcast10 at nmlra.org. You'll get 10% off your order of NMLRA and Muzzle Blast merchandise. That lets us thank you a little bit and lets us know that you're listening to the show and, and want to support what we're doing here. It was great to have Luke on. This was the first time that we've had a a chance to talk, not in email, but it's always nice to sit down and talk with somebody who's passionate and supports shooting sports, especially muzzleloading. So thank you so much, Luke. Be sure to check out the links to Luke's social media and his website in the show notes down below. Hopefully we can get Luke back on maybe here in the fall sometime after hunting season's starting to die down a little bit and uh, get some hunting stories from him. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time.